the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, January 16th, 2024, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 316 and 317. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the first of our two all-new editions of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. We've got a great slate of guests coming in. The newly appointed official spokesperson for Trump 2024, Caroline Levitt, will be joining us. Congressional candidate in Texas 34, Mayra Flores, will be making her Steak for Breakfast debut as well. And we'll sit down with a trio of America First congressmen. Mike Collins, Tim Burchett, and Andy Biggs will all be here as well. Lots of breaking news. We're on the heels of Donald Trump's historic victory in Iowa last night. We'll check in on the results and the reactions. We'll also take a look in on the latest with the developments in the budget battle and what's going on on the U.S. southern border. But before we get into any of our headlines, let's take it over to the Granite State and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ron. Noah's here as well. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And we're getting things started today on the heels of the big Iowa caucus victory yesterday for Donald Trump with the new... National Press Secretary for Trump 2024, Ms. Caroline Levitt. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ron, so much for having me. Always a pleasure. And today is especially exciting after what you just said, President Trump's historic, enormous victory in Iowa last night. Okay, before we even get into that, I have to say congratulations. I saw it late last night. I had to post it on my Twitter account and, and see that you've become the national press secretary for Donald Trump's re-election campaign. Caroline, congratulations. You've done so much hard work. You've been such a great friend of the show for so long. We're happy to see that you're helping out even more now in, in, in a national aspect. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. You guys are the best and we look forward to just winning more and more and more over the next several months and turning this country around from Joe Biden. You know, talking about last night's huge win in Iowa, Donald Trump exceeded all of the expectations. He even beat the Des Moines Registry, which is the gold standard for calling the Iowa caucus by, I believe, almost three full percentage points. Huge distance between him and the second and third place finishers. And when you talk about it, you already see the mainstream media saying like, oh, yeah, we already knew he was going to win the Iowa caucus. Let's see what happens in New Hampshire. But sticking in, in the Hawkeye state, Caroline, you saw this thing unfold in real time. What does it say to Donald Trump's campaign so far? And, and what do you think following the results of the Iowa caucus? Last night's huge Iowa caucus victory from President Trump was a historic win. The results were called in less than 30 minutes. He won by a historic margin of uh, more than 30 points. He won with a 51% of the vote, the majority of the won every single demographic, and he won every single county except for one. Uh, and so, with your choice, very, very clear. They want to reelect President Trump to make this country great again. And I really wish that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis would see the writing in the wall. We've been saying this for months. I've been on your show many times, Ron, saying 
that neither of them have a practical pathway to the nomination. They need to do what is right for our country, pack it up, go back to their respective states, and rally around the former president so we can take the space to Joe Biden to fix the many crises uh, that his administration has caused with their policies over the last three and a half years. What goes into a campaign like Ron DeSantis where, where you think losing by 30 points equals getting your ticket punched for the Granite State? You know, it is so incredibly out of touch and pathetic for Ron to go up there last night and say what he did. He constantly was bragging about how he visited all 99 counties, did the quote, cold grassley. Well, guess what? Not one of those counties voted for him. Uh, and so it's pretty pathetic. Uh, for him to stand up there and act like uh, his campaign is winning. You shouldn't be playing for a silver medal. You should be playing for the gold medal. Donald Trump, very clear, was the was the gold medalist last night in Iowa, that's for sure. Uh, he's going to bring this thing home. He's coming to my great home state of New Hampshire tonight where the Trump train continues to roll. I'm on my way to a snowy rally where we hear it's already packed, people waiting outside in the snow to hear from him because they believe in him. He has a deep connection with voters that Ron DeSantis is not going to be able to cut through. He's been trying desperately for months. He's burned through $100 million plus million between his super PAC and his campaign. Uh, enough is enough. It's time to go back to Tallahassee, Ron. Yeah, no, that's the truth. And then when you talk about Nikki Haley, who says after last night's third-place finish and not meeting any of the expectations laid out for her in Iowa, that it's now a two-person race for the Republican nominee. <laughs> yeah, again... It's so out of touch. Uh, a politician is someone who looks in the mirror and thinks they can be president, even though they got swamped by more than 40 points. And that's Nikki Haley for you. She is uh, funded by Democrats who desperately want her to stay in this race because they despise Donald Trump. She is a pro-tax, open-border globalist who was recently caught on camera saying that illegal immigrants are not criminals. Uh, in fact, they absolutely are criminals. That's why they're called illegal immigrants by definition. They break the law upon entering this country. So Nikki Haley can't be trusted to uh, govern on the issues that matter to the majority of Americans. That is uh, fixing and securing the border, deporting illegal immigrants who have invaded it over the last three years, uh, rebuilding our economy, reinvesting in our domestic energy industry to bring down prices at the pump. Uh, And of course, as well, to lead on the world stage. No one can do that like President Trump. He led the world to historic peace before. He's ready to do it again. Nikki Haley is not ready. She cannot be trusted. She will govern as a Democrat. And that is why very smart people in Iowa roundly rejected her last night. No, that's, I think that was the biggest tell of the night besides Donald Trump exceeding all of those historic margins. Now, when you talk about New Hampshire, there was a lot of commentary on places like CBS, MSNBC, and Fox News last night. They had Democrat donors in there. They had Obama campaign strategists, former advisors to Barack Obama, and people who were closely associated with Joe Biden, essentially calling to arms Democrats and independents who had the opportunity before September of last year to change their voter uh, affiliation to get out and vote for Nick. Nikki Haley last week to kind of make it look like Donald Trump's not the strong candidate that he is following the Iowa caucus. We happen to think that this is going to fail 
overwhelmingly as most of the other things that people have tried to throw at Donald Trump's team. It's like they put up this fake reality of what things is, and then time actually causes what reality is to happen, and then Donald Trump looks like, after the Iowa caucus, stronger than ever before. Do you think the uh, ways that they're trying to kind of set up roadblocks for Donald Trump in New Hampshire, everything from Chris Sununu's non-support to Nikki Haley's busted campaign are just going to fall flat next week? Absolutely, yes. Look, New Hampshire was the first state that propelled President Trump uh, to leading the greatest political movement we've seen back in 2016. This was the first state that he won in our primary. I still remember where I was when he won it. It was epic. He obviously won it in 2020, and he's going to go on to win it for the third time because the people here remember what he did for them, what he did for our veterans, what he did for our small business community that serves as the backbone of New Hampshire's economy what he did to secure our border and curb our opioid crisis. A lot of people don't realize, Rowan, that New Hampshire has been hit very hard by the fentanyl crisis. In fact, it's one of the worst states in the nation. Under President Trump's leadership, uh, overdose deaths actually declined for the first time in many years because he gave uh, resources to our law enforcement, and, of course, he closed down the border to these deadly drugs that are flowing into our communities. So that is why the people of New Hampshire love him feel a connection with him, and we'll choose him again one week from tonight uh, in my great home state. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I haven't missed an episode of Steak for Breakfast in almost six years now, Caroline. If I ever do, I've seen you do some great work over the course of the last few weeks filling on some shows. You are more than welcome to jump on the mic out here. We're obviously going to be live linking everything in the show description today. You've done such a fantastic job so far, and it appears now that you're just getting started ahead of the New Hampshire primary. Anybody that wants to check you out and follow you on social media, keep all up to date on the campaign. Where can they find you? Yeah, please go to uh, my Twitter, Truth Social, K-Levitt, and follow our team as well at Team Trump on Twitter. We'll follow our war room uh, to catch up on all the latest on what President Trump is up to and how hard he's fighting for this country. Thanks uh, for having me, guys, as always. No, absolutely fantastic. And we could still expect you to be making a, a, a periodical jump into the Steak for Breakfast podcast from time to time? Of course. I would never abandon you guys. You're the best. Hey, you guys get busy out there. And listen, we've got a country to save. This is the National Press Secretary for Donald John Trump, Miss Caroline Levitt, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks for getting things started, and keep on fighting up there in New Hampshire. Will do. Thanks, guys. Well, we're on the heels of a quite historic victory last night, Noah. What do you think? Donald Trump commanding victory in Iowa, huge for America first, uh, exceeded all expectations, and uh, pretty much what we thought here on the show. It was a big red map of Iowa. Yeah. Can you believe that he won 98 out of 99 counties and only lost the 99th by one vote? one vote that was it one singular vote wow (laughs) i didn't i didn't hear that part that's amazing however the margins of victory were enormous the largest in the history of the caucus i believe the 51 percent that donald trump got the biggest margin of victory ever was 12 percent and i just think that looking forward to new hampshire right now and the battle that's ahead it's going to be interesting to see how this kind of plays out. A lot of uh, celebratory mood following the big caucus win in Iowa last night. Let's hear the 45th president. Well, I want to thank everybody. This has been some period of time, and most importantly, we want to thank the great people of Iowa. Thank you. We love you all. What a turnout, what a crowd. 
And I really think this is time now for everybody, our country, to come together. We want to come together. Uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative, it would be so nice if we could come together and straighten out the world and straighten out the problems and straighten out all of the death and destruction that we're witnessing. That's practically never been like this. It's uh, just so important. And I want to make that a very big part of our message. We're going to come together. It's going to happen soon, too. It's going to happen soon. Everyone seemed to be in a pretty good mood. There was a, a lot of Good MAGA on the ground out there for Donald Trump. Obviously, Eric and Don Jr. were out there. Matt Gates, Mike Collins, Corey Mills, Wesley Hunt, Byron Donalds, some big-time Steak for Breakfast and joiners joined President Trump on the ground as well. Noah, when you see the way that the media looked at Donald Trump going in, and, you know, we're going to touch on it with some of the congressmen who are coming on today because they're all supporters of Donald Trump, all who have also endorsed him in this race as well. And it got to the point, you know, maybe like two or three months ago where it said, you know, Donald Trump wasn't as strong as he was in 2016, definitely not in 2020 where he got 75 million votes in his reelection bid. You know, you see uh, poll numbers up against Joe Biden starting to tighten then. And then they started to say, well, you know, it's not really Donald Trump. It's about the competition. Maybe the Republican Party or America is looking for new, fresh faces or blood to, you know, get into the White House or possibly people that could win and, and then be reelected in a consecutive term. This, that or the other thing. By the time we were getting ready to caucus yesterday, and this is in like the 30 minutes leading up to when the first results were coming in. CNN, MSNBC, and even some of the guests on Fox News were basically saying, like, there's no way he can win. Donald Trump's campaign is still <laughs> illegitimate if he doesn't win by dictator numbers. Assad margins. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's that's basically what they were all kind of saying. It's just like, oh, yeah, you, you, you just won't see the same response to the strength of Donald Trump's campaign if he doesn't win this thing by, like, 60 or so. That's not really the way the world works. It's never the way the Iowa caucus worked. And, and when you see how big of a victory he was able to get. Well, I mean. There's nobody's ever taken it by this much before, right? No, and and I do have some of those numbers. It's I'm going to get into them real quick with you, and it, it's really interesting to see how the media tried to frame this. So Donald Trump did shatter the record for the biggest win in the history of the Iowa Republican Caucus, and if you just look back of the few that have happened over the course of the last decade or two, back in 2016, Ted Cruz beat Donald Trump 26.6% to 24.3% in 2016. Mm. Rick Santorum and Mitt Romney tied 24.6% each back in 2012. In 2008, Mike Huckabee beat Mitt Romney 34 to 25%. George Bush beat Forbes editor-in-chief Steve Forbes by 9% back in 2000. In 1996, Bob Dole beat political consultant Pat Buchanan by 3%. And... Bob Dole beat televangelist Pat Robertson by 12.8%, the last previous highest margin of victory back in 1988, and that was by 12.8%. So, you know, when you look at the, I mean, Donald Trump 51, I think Ron DeSantis was right around 20, and then Nikki Haley was 19 and change. 30% margin of victory over the next nearest competitor. And when you talk about, you know, the way that Donald Trump has ran his race, and you look at the amount of money that was spent, that's also a huge deal. Now, remember, we, we've been calling for a lot of people to consolidate and endorse and get behind Donald Trump to defeat Joe Biden for quite some time now. But when you start to look at the dollars and cents that went into this race, Noah, and the amount of nothing that the people who came in behind Donald Trump are getting out of it, it's more than eye-opening. I think Donald Trump spent around 
eighteen million dollars in Iowa, which turns out it's going to equal about three hundred and forty dollars a vote. Not bad in today's day and age, right? You you think everything with hyperinflation and and Bidenomics and all that other stuff, a vote might cost you over a thousand dollars, right? Well, I mean, depends on if you're Democrat. Ron DeSantis, on the other hand, who did the ninety nine county tour and didn't win one. Oops. Spent $34 million in Iowa. Just on eggs. And that means every single one of the votes that didn't count for anything because he didn't win equaled $1,697 a piece. Mm. And then you have bird brain warmonger neocon Nikki Haley. She spent $36 million in the state of Iowa. $2 million more than Ron DeSantis. That got her total up to $1,797 per vote for a nice third place finish and not even breaking 20%. Mm. So when you look at the amount of money that was spent between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, essentially it's $70 million were spent in Iowa. That could have all been used against Joe Biden and in aiding Donald Trump. And you would expect to think that uh, maybe some of the candidates were looking to get out of the race after last night. Besides Vivek, who else stepped out? Anybody? Well, we're, we're going to get into that in a second. Speaker Mike Johnson put out a statement yesterday right after the Iowa caucus vote was called. Uh, you know, he's a staunch supporter of Donald Trump. He's already endorsed him as well. And he said tonight's vote was an endorsement of President Trump's extraordinary record and ongoing vision to fix our country and economy, secure our border, and defend the freedoms and values that will help make America great again. And that was from the speaker. Donald Trump, uh, of course, you know, was going to take, let's see, I guess you could call it pot shots at, at the second and third place finishers there. The big thing was is that I'm sure his campaign already had known that both Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis weren't looking to get out of the race as early as last night. So let's hear Donald Trump weigh in on uh, how he thought they did in the Iowa caucus and, and hopefully what he expects moving forward. I want to thank you very much. I want to congratulate Ron and Nikki for having a, a good a good time together. We're all having a good time together. And uh, I think they both actually did very well. I really do. I think they both did very well. We don't even know what the outcome of second place is. And uh, I see Carrie Lake. Congratulations, Carrie. Very good. I spotted her, I have to announce, because she's terrific. She's going to be a senator, a great senator, I predict, right? You're going to be a great senator. And uh, I also want to congratulate Vivek because he did a hell of a job. He came from uh, zero and he's uh, got a big percent, probably 8%, almost 8%. And that's an amazing job. They all did. They're all very smart, very smart people, very capable people. Very diplomatic way to take it after the big victory. Yeah, he could have just been shitting on everybody equally. You know, it was pretty funny, too, because I watched the uh, victory speech on Fox News last night, and it was being reported in real time, and we'll get to some of that next. We're going to talk about reactions from Donald Trump's historic win in Iowa in our second news segment. MSNBC, I think, lasted like a minute 30 before they were like, move on to something else. This is the end of the republic. We can't show it. CNN waited until Donald Trump talked about border security and what some of the specifics of that looks like in Agenda 47 before starting to speak over him and lowering the volume of the speech before cutting out to it. However, this is interesting. They are so just disgusting and vile. Both CNN and MSNBC showed Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley's Iowa caucus speeches following the vote in its entirety without interruption. 
Why? Because, well, you know, the way things are shaping up to look in New Hampshire, where Democrats and independents can, up until September of last year, switch their vote, when one of the big people who is heavily involved in campaign donations... So it's basically just to try to steal votes from Trump. In this election cycle, was on Neil Cavuto yesterday and revealed that a lot of Nikki Haley's money right now is coming in from Democrat mega donors, especially in places like New Hampshire and South Carolina. They're trying to set up the stage to delegitimize the size of victory Donald Trump had last night and continue to make him vulnerable heading into the New Hampshire primary, which is just, you know, essentially nine days away now. A lot of the other news outlets last night, especially MSNBC and CNN, cut right from Donald Trump's victory speech and started to talk about how this ties into all of his legal cases. Believe it or not, Fannie Willis is talking about uh, how racism is affecting some of the commentary that's come out about her recently. We'll get to that in our next edition of the show today. Donald Trump wrapped it up by essentially kind of talking about what he always does, how big the victory was tonight. We're going to continue to campaign like we're down 1%, and we're going to hit the ground running the next day. Let's check it out. Uh, to all of the people standing behind me and all of the people in this room and so many great politicians and great dignitaries and friends i just want to thank you all this is a very special night and this is the first because the big night is going to be in november when we take back our country and truly we do make our country great again thank you very much everybody great honor thank you very much thank you thank you very much. Went from the middle of a blizzard in Iowa to touching down in New York at 3.30 in the morning Eastern before he was in court at 9 a.m. today dealing with some of the bullshit going on in his fraud charges in regards to his business dealing and, I mean, obviously the E. Jean Carroll case talking about vagina is definitely going to be on the docket moving forward. Guys, welcome to our big show today. Hope you're loving it and listening and enjoying all the coverage we've got of Donald Trump's historic victory in Iowa. Wherever you're listening to the podcast today, make sure it's downloading across every podcasting platform. That's Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Find our show, hit the plus button, hit the follow button. Does so much to help us out. In addition, do us a big favor here. Spread the word. Share Steak for Breakfast with your friends. Share our posts on social media. Those are Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Just find our accounts. Follow them and hit the notification bell. You'll never miss out on all the great stuff we're covering here on the show, including our always America First guest list. I want to remind everybody we're going to be jumping in with Arizona Congressman, big supporter of Donald Trump, Andy Biggs, in just a bit. Noah teased it. We're going to get to it right now. So Vivek Varamaswamy didn't have a great weekend. You know, he had done the I'm going to run as an outsider and pretend he was Donald Trump for the entirety of this primary season. He said some of the right things, did some other things that were good. I personally never really trusted him. If you go back and listen to the shows over the course of the last six or seven months, I called him a gag gift. We made fun of his hair. Policy-wise, he's got zero political experience. People have propped him up to being everything from a cabinet-level position to vice president of the United States. The only thing I could see him being qualified for at this point is being vice president of another pharmaceutical company because that's where all of his experience is. If you're a supporter of Vivek Ramaswamy, you really need to take a long, hard look in the mirror and understand what his motives were 
which seemed to get called out online on Sunday night. You know, we had some posts from Vivek which showed him standing with supporters at an event where he unveiled a T-shirt of the Trump mugshot. That was him that made that? Yeah. Ugh. Save Trump. Tacky. Vote Vivek. You know, and, and at which point it, it sent not just social media, but Donald Trump and, and his campaign into, you know, basically calling this stuff out. And, and that's what you have to do. A, a true social post from Donald Trump. A vote for Vivek is a wasted vote. I like Vivek, but he played it too cute with us. Caucus tonight, vote for Donald Trump, build up the numbers. In November, we must take our very troubled nation, a nation in decline, back from crooked Joe Biden and from the radical left Democrats and thugs who are destroying it again, MAGA. He also put out another post, I think, on Saturday, which talked about him not being MAGA. He, he essentially said that in the post. I, I shot it out there. It went, went a little viral. And then, you know, Chris LaCivita, your diatribe doesn't do anything to fix your loony pump and dump on MAGA. The end is near for you, and then you can go and play more tennis. Doesn't sound like they're too enthused to be working with him at any point in the near future. Another- I, saw, I saw something with him where something about one of his pharmaceutical companies had a pretty big stake in some sort of delivery system for basically what would be like vaccine type stuff too. There is, and he also has a lot of longstanding financial ties to the CCP, mm. and those are proxies through his phar- pharmaceutical organizations. Here's another one from Las Vida. Here's the plot. Vivek Ramaswamy is a fraud, a classic con man, a classic pump and dump scheme on the MAGA movement. And this comes off of, you know, sharing posts of Vivek Ramaswamy with his supporters wearing those shirts. In addition, there was a video where Vivek put out a post where he was like sitting in a car and saying, here's the pot that's hiding in plain sight. They're going to narrow this to a two horse race between Trump and Haley. They're going to eliminate Trump and then they're going to essentially walk their puppet into the White House. Vivek would go on to say, I respect Donald Trump, but we need someone who's going to be able to save him, to pardon him, etc. So therefore, vote for me. As soon as you see that dissension in the ranks, or or if that's the way his campaign staff was kind of guiding him along right there, that, that's enough red flags for me. I was done with it. That cringy video of him, like, with the older lady. Exactly. That's oh, a- my gosh. that It was painful to watch. It was like, you have to vote for me. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one that could save us. Feel the hate flow through you. It was it was the Obi Wan Kenobi line. Yeah, and you know when he went and saw yesterday. Trust, now, trust your feelings. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff too. People are saying that Vivek, even Donald Trump alluded to it. His less than eight percent showing in the Iowa caucus might have been good, but when you look at just the numbers, guess what? It was eight thousand votes. I'll be completely honest with you, and I'm not even bullshitting you here. If I had several billion dollars like Vivek Ramaswamy did. And I had nothing tying me back. Me. Not not even a podcast? Me. I could have went to Iowa Mm -hmm. a year ago, and I could have gotten 8,000 votes. So could a lot of our listeners. And I'm not even joking here. If if I was a billionaire, and I went to Iowa a year ago, and I worked relatively hard, I could have got 8,000 votes. Yeah. It's not a lot. More people listen to our podcasts, other podcasts, watch shows. You just have to look at it in, like, the big scheme of things. And his showing last night was not good at all, which consequently led to him bowing out of this race. He made the announcement from his Iowa campaign headquarters. We're going to hear a couple clips from it right now. Let's check it out. As of this moment, we are going to suspend this presidential campaign. And this is going to have to be, (laughs) there is no path for me to be the next president absent things that we don't want to see happen in this country. Say it out show. 
And I think that I am very worried for our country. And it's good to be worried about our country, but you have to also understand the writing on the wall. I get it. He's charismatic. I get it. He's a good talker. He's likable. Yeah. I, I get it. He's got a nice smile. We we saw this before. We've seen a candidate like this before who comes from essentially obscurity, and then people start hitting me. Oh, he's written books. You know, he's done stuff in, in, in the pharmaceutical industry. Good for him. Guess what? Barack Obama was a community organizer. And he basically plagiarized one of those Barack Obama speeches almost verbatim for, for a good portion of it. Like somebody played that side to or side by side one. Hmm. I was just like, what? Really? And it's interesting to see where these people get their, their motivation and inspiration from sometimes. It was never going to work because here's the deal. And I've said it before. We actually opened our show, our first edition of our Friday podcast. We had Liz Harrington on and I asked her the question and you could tell she knew how the campaign felt about Vivek Ramaswamy, but didn't want to necessarily put words in, in Chris Lasavita or Stephen Chong or even Donald Trump's mouth. So she took a very high road version of saying like, you know, he's done the right things, but, and I just said, Liz, here's the deal between now and 2028, there's no way that any of these people who are saying that they're running for president in this moment is going to be able to essentially not fuck up. And that's the thing. You're not going to not say the wrong. Even if we take it as the wrong thing, you're done, especially online. And once you lose the online, it, it trickles into the real world. Vivek Ramaswamy did, however, go on to do the right and correct thing, which we didn't see from any of the other candidates last night. Let's hear him as well. I'm also making the decision that this has to be an America first candidate in that White House. As I've said since the beginning, there are two America first candidates in this race. And earlier tonight, I called Donald Trump to tell him that I congratulated him on his victory. And now going forward, he will have my full endorsement for the presidency. And I think we're going to do the right thing for this country. And so I'm going to ask you to follow me in taking our America first movement to the next level. And you want to know what Vivek Ramaswamy did? He got his ass on a plane, and he flew to New Hampshire. And just like Doug Burgum, he'll be showing up now at campaign events with Donald Trump. Almost immediately online, and, and much to my frustration, you saw so many people last night who I, who I don't get it. They're, they're either not real MAGA, they're not honest-to-God Trump voters who don't understand, number one, the time, number two, what matters, all saying, like, Vivek's leaving of the race... His 8,000 votes in Iowa equally qualify him now to become the next vice president of the, the United States. Mm. I, I just don't understand it. We've talked about this from the beginning, too. Vivek, Trump, Trump, Ramaswamy, the aesthetics of it don't look good at all. The kinds of groups you're looking to bring into the tent right now, suburban moms, independents, moderates, Democrats, don't necessarily resonate to someone outside of Donald Trump who is Vivek Ramaswamy. They just don't. And for the people online, I, no, there was people online last night saying like, he's the next Ron Paul. He's the new Dr. Ron Paul. Like, no, he's not. Really? And I want to remind everybody. That's, we, a, that's a bit of a stretch. We talked about this with Cash Patel. Saying you want to abolish all of these federal agencies is nice to campaign on. However. Good luck doing it. Yeah, Barack Obama tried to do it a dozen times throughout the course of his eight years in office and was stopped every single time. You can't abolish a federal agency as the president of the United States without congressional oversight. 
if it looks like you're doing it just to do it, you're going to be impeached or even worse. Mm-hmm. I saw Cat Turd posted last night, and, and I don't really reference him, you know, because I don't know. He, he caters to more of like the boomer audience, and, and we like to make fun of those people. But he does a lot of great work, and, and, and he's got a big voice. And, do, we, do we got any boomers watching us? Probably a few. Yeah, it's all the ones who complain about us when we make fun of Steve Bannon. Don't worry, we'll make fun of him in our second show today. He was going off again. But here's the thing. Cat Turd put out a post, and and this came well after midnight on the West Coast. I'm glad Vivek dropped out and endorsed Donald Trump. Up until the last few days, I was really starting to like Vivek, but then something happened in the past two days, and I don't trust him anymore. And all just suddenly started sounding phony to me, and now it's kind of hard to unsee. Mm Mm-hmm. So I quoted the tweet and said, thank you. Maybe it's because President Trump and his entire team called him out less than 24 hours ago. Again, everybody forgetting that Donald Trump was literally saying a vote for Vivek is a wasted vote. He's not MAGA and members of his team saying that he was pumping, dumping our movement to grift off of Donald Trump. It's time to consolidate behind Donald Trump to beat Joe Biden because that's the right thing to do. But it's not the time to kiss everyone's ass or anoint them to some high-ranking position just because they did. And that's basically the there there. We can all be happy that Vivek's out of the race. We can all be happy that he's endorsed Donald Trump. And they, hey, listen, we need a 2016 Chris Christie. Chris Christie crisscrossed the country for Donald Trump in 2015 when he was campaigning to win the White House. And guess what happened the moment Donald Trump won the election? He realized that Chris Christie was going to be more of a problem than a solution and said, You're not going to work in the administration. And what happened? He gained about 200 pounds and has been ranting about it ever since. We need one of those guys. He's angry. So if that's the deal with Vivek, then then so be it. If not, who knows? I don't see him as qualified for any cabinet-level position right now, and he's definitely not going to be the vice president of the United States. I'll go on record as saying that. I think, no, you could probably agree with me. Donald Trump's not. Out of the deep bench that we have, and I'm talking about Ben Carson, Christy Noem, Elise Stefanik, Tulsi Gabbard, Vivek Rama, Tucker Carlson, he doesn't really fit into those. Well, for vice president, no. I mean, a potential cabinet position, maybe. Right. Maybe. Mm. Ron I, DeSantis, I don't know which one. Ron DeSantis rolled his ass out on the stage <laughs> last night following his historic letdown in Iowa. And uh, you're not going to believe it. He did open up. What We're giving out free eggs on sticks. He, he said. Well, in the free state of. Wait, where do I live? He did say. Greetings from the free state of Florida when he came out on the stage last Gre- night. Greetings from the free state. When was the last time he was in Florida? It's about, been about 10 months. He hasn't been in Florida for 10 months, and he's the fucking governor. Mm-hmm. 10 months. Mm-hmm. 10 months. Let's hear the Florida governor, kind of. We love you, too. They threw everything oh. but the kitchen sink oh. at us. Oh. They spent oh. almost $50 million dollars attacking us no one's faced that much all the way just through iowa huh they the media was against us they were writing our obituary months ago so are we they even called the election before people even got a chance to vote i don't even want to talk about that really donald trump's initial returns were so big that all of the media outlets starting with cnn within seven minutes of the caucus event starting last night, called the race for Donald Trump with less than 1% reporting. They called it. CNN was the first. Fox News was one. That's weird. The last. 
And well, then that's not weird. Everybody from Team DeSantis went around last night crying. Because people were calling Pe- it. People were still caucusing. And I, I just kept quote tweeting it. And I was like, man, all these people just said that Donald Trump can't let the 2020 presidential election go. And how does that Arizona feel in Iowa right now? It's the truth. And then, you know, some people in the news had to go and defend themselves and hey, saying, bring me something from the gift shop in fucking Florida next time you swing by, you dickhead. Yeah. The funny thing about Ron DeSantis, too, was he not only felt vindicated, he felt empowered. Ooh, yeah. As the project known as the DeSantis campaign now rolls its way. And it's weird. He goes from Iowa to South Carolina, which is the fourth of the first five primaries. We've got the Iowa caucus, the New Hampshire primary, the Nevada caucus, and then South Carolina. He's going to South Carolina today for an event. I don't know why. And then he's going up to New Hampshire where apparently he did so good last night, his ticket was punched. Let's hear it. We thank you for your effort. We thank you for your support. You helped us get a ticket punched out of the Hawkeye State. We have a lot of work to do, but I can tell you this, as the next president of the United States, I am going to get the job done for this country. I am not. Scissor me timbers. I am not going to make any excuses. And I guarantee you this, I will not let you down. Thank you all. God bless you. Why is he screaming? An egg on every stick. Oh, man. Still his best endorsement. (laughs) If you don't know, go and look at our social media. (laughs) One got almost 3 million views. Nice. And every time people will go and grab that tweet from like July and put it in people's comments. So it'll say like this so-and-so account shared your report post and mm-hmm. then i'll go and look and it'll be like somebody's dunking on ron DeSantis, and then somebody puts the egg in a stick endorsement <laughs> or the one where he's like shoving the stick into the egg and somebody just captured it i hate my fucking life <laughs> or the person that's like i'm just here for the egg i don't understand it like optics of, of the presidential race obviously you're not gonna say okay we got our asses kicked let's try to do better in the next state but when you get your ass kicked you should probably not try to Make it look like you did a good job and are going to try it in the next state. Participation. Do you see the guy give the DeSantis a participation trophy? That's that probably, was amazing. Besides Vivek Ramaswamy getting canceled by MAGA, I think that was probably my second highlight of the weekend. That was, well, that and Hunter Biden, what kind of crack do you like to smoke? Those are the top for the week, I think. It's been pretty wild. You guys knew it was coming. We've heard from everybody so far. Programming note. Asa. Ada Hutchinson, who, again, for all the money he spent, I could have went to Iowa a year ago and gotten the 334 votes he got in the Iowa caucus yesterday. 334. 0.12%. 334. Suspended his presidential campaign today. I can't imagine why. Me either. 334. There's money to waste. (laughs) How much money? How much money did he spend for 334 votes? And remember... You have immediate cancellation of how big Donald Trump's victory was across the mainstream media yesterday. Same thing from a lot of the big influencers online. Onward and upward. Donald Trump is what he is, but we'll stop him. And it's setting up the showdown for hopefully a close race in New Hampshire between Donald Trump and former U.N. Ambassador, South Carolina Governor, Confederate flag remover, George Floyd enjoyer. Mm. There's an estate she won't drone. We'll get into that in a minute. Nikki Haley, let's hear. At one point in this campaign, there were 14 of us running. 
I was at 2% in the polls. But tonight, Iowa did what Iowa always does so well. The pundits will analyze the results from every angle. Analyze? We get that. But when you look at how we're doing, in New Hampshire, in South Carolina, and beyond, can safely say, tonight, Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race. Oh, oh, oh. And the way it's set up in New Hampshire is, they're hoping with all of the Democrat influence and money and voters who have switched their registration, again, had to be done by last September, but still very meaningful. Is there same-day switches that people can do in some of these places, too, or no? No. Well, that's good. Especially in New Hampshire. It had to be by September 30th. You switched your registration. You could vote in the primary, and then directly following, you could switch back for the general election. If you're an independent, you want to go independent. If you want to go back to Democrat or whatever. Plus the amount of money that's going to get poured. They're hoping for as a close race as possible. So that after the Nevada caucus, which Donald Trump is going to win, it's a winner-take-all caucus, and Nikki Haley's not even on the ballot there that she can make a last stand in South Carolina, where right now a lot of the polls are suggesting she's losing by 50 or 60 points to Donald Trump. Now, if Ron DeSantis gets out after New Hampshire or Nevada, you think even more of those numbers are going to be heading over to Donald Trump's team and making it even more of a historic loss. So we called it, and we said no matter what the results were in Iowa, we were going to get through New Hampshire and probably all the way to South Carolina at least six or seven more weeks of Nikki Haley being a viable contender to Donald Trump. She's going to get a lot of help from the Democrat donors. She's going to get a lot of help from Democrat voters in New Hampshire. But at the end of the day, the numbers are all fake. It should really worry you. If you want to talk about fake polls, these are the real ones. And uh, here's the deal. For everyone that was saying that this was going to be, you know, Donald Trump winning by 10, 12, 15 points, and having to kind of rethink his strategy of just hammering everybody and their families on the campaign trail, well... Seems like it's still working for us eight years later. Weird. So weird. And, and moving forward, he hasn't even be. I mean, besides calling her bird brain and, and saying that she kowtows to the military-industrial complex, it was reported last night also that Nikki Haley ordered drone strikes on Iowa for her lack of caucus results there. Got so, him. But here's the thing. Donald Trump's going to do what he does. He's now got a couple more candidates like Doug Bergman and Vivek Ramaswamy working for him in the campaign. He's added some essential parts to that too from, from some of his super PACs and, and, and other entities within the GOP apparatus. And moving forward, I think it's uh, looking pretty good for Donald Trump as far as winning the New Hampshire primary goes. Guys, we're getting ready to jump in with Congressman Andy Biggs right now. But before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. 
If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code steak here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the congressman who represents Arizona 5. Always great to sit down with Mr. Andy Biggs. Congressman, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Well, even though the... Most of the United States is enjoying a snow day today. Here we are working. We just wanted to uh, start off by asking you, what's the latest on the budget battle that's going on? We know that a little over a week ago there was an apparent agreement, but members of the House Freedom Caucus and some of the America First congressmen and women up there on Capitol Hill said, we don't really like that too much. There's now been uh, you know, some news breaking about another two-step CR to get us into the month of March, but uh, you could probably catch our listenership up on the latest. Yeah, that's right. So the proposal from the from the speaker um, is the bloated FRA numbers, except for he didn't bother to figure in all the side deals. So uh, when I say FRA, I'm talking about the Fiscal Responsibility Act that was put together last summer between McCarthy and Schumer. Um, uh, and now the real number is uh, just under $1.7 trillion in spending for, and that's just for defense and non-defense discretionary so we won't get in that unless you want to so they so a lot of people said what the heck are you doing um and and you're not fixing the border to boot so the speaker doesn't have time to get his bill out because there's so much opposition to it so he and schumer he and schumer have agreed to do this uh, another wacky two-step um uh, continuing resolution so all the spending is going to continue at the same levels as last year um, it's going to have no changes in the policy in it, um, and it's going to go through sometime in March. Don't be surprised if in, in a couple of months that or six weeks or so that they say, oh, we don't have enough time to get it done, and we're just going to go to full year's uh, continuing resolution, uh, which, by the way, the Uniparty, the Swamp, the Cartel, whatever you want to call the D.C. Uh, conglomerate here, they love continuing resolutions because they just get to keep spending at the same levels. Uh, there's no uh, line by line, program by program scrutiny on whatever they're advocating for. The bureaucracy loves these continuing resolutions. And uh, the only people who should not like them is the American public and uh, responsible conservative uh, members of Congress. Now, it sounds like even though he may have gotten off onto the right foot, and you can combine that with some of the side deals that were agreed on by Speaker McCarthy before he was motioned to vacate. It sounds like Speaker Johnson has run into some of the reality, which is life up on Capitol Hill. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who are extremely critical of him at times, uh, but there's also those who go to his defense and say he might not be the overall right man for the job, but he's the right man for the moment. Just kind of looking at it from the outside in, Congressman, how do you feel that he's navigating this right now? You know, when you go up against with, you know, some of these career politicians like Chuck Schumer and then everyone that's involved in the Biden White House and, uh, you know, what the optics of a government shutdown could look like. I mean, from our standpoint, it seems like Republicans who have the slimmest of majorities would have favor in the government possibly shutting down because you could say this is for two reasons. Joe Biden overspends. Joe Biden won't close the border. But at the same time, it seems like there's a lot of reluctancy to kind of use that card at as a negotiation tactic, but up to this point, it seems to not be working in the speaker's favor. 
Yeah, so I can you know, I like Mike. Uh, I've known him for a long time. I would say in this instance, uh, as speaker, he's become a golden retriever. Um, by that, I mean, you know, golden retriever. We happen to have one. They're nice dogs. They're they're sweet. They're kind. They're fun. They like everybody. They want to be liked. They like to they like to do some nice things. But to get them to fight is just impossible. I mean, they, they they're not going to fight to save their own life. And that's kind of where we are. And so when I look at it, uh, my advice to the speaker, and it literally has been this, is that his plan with Chuck Schumer is a no-go. You're going to have a lot of Republicans that say no, just like you had 71 Republicans say no to the the McCarthy-Schumer plan from last summer. So you're going to have probably somewhere at least that many saying no to this goofy plan. Um, and And you're going to rely on Democrats. I said, so if you're going to do that, that's a terrible win and says it sends a terrible message. How about actually doing a, 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 a spending bill that actually, even if it's not tremendously, but at least in some way bring uh, changes the trajectory or the spending arc down a little bit and also gives us a, a, an opportunity to, to um, enforce uh, or in, in impose enforcement of the border through spending uh, reductions. Um, if you did that, at least, uh, so you might, so you're going to have some Republicans who go with Democrats and do what's called a discharge petition and pass the, uh, try to pass a budget without Republicans. Okay. But at least you would have lived by the principles that you have. At least you would have shown that we are willing to fight. At least you would have shown that there's a distinction between the uh, fiscal responsibility of Republicans, the uh, attempt to secure the border by Republicans, and that's where the conversation ended. He never even responded to that after that. So, which is fine. I mean, uh, you know, I get it. I'm asking him to do hard things. But my point is this. You're going to lose either way. Then why not make a choice to do the right thing and stand for principle and Republican values so that everybody in America can see the distinction between the parties instead of actually caving to, to the unitary party uh, of, uh, of Washington, D.C.? Well, that's a great point you make there, and, and, and one that I hope more than, you know, just outside of the Freedom Caucus and some of the America First congressmen and women are listening to. It, it seems like, uh, you know, we're entering dire straits here, and, and, and there's a finite amount of time before this session of Congress ends, and, and heading into such a big election season right now, you don't want to give Joe Biden anything that gives the optics of a W, as, you know, Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries will surely go around and tell all of the media so, so involved in all of these negotiations, obviously the border battle is wrapped up in all this. It doesn't seem like Joe Biden wants anything to do with securing the U.S. southern border unless it has to deal with funding for places like Ukraine. We did see earlier today on some of the mainstream media outlets, Vladimir Zelensky was reminding all of the American taxpayers that regardless of how long he decides before he calls it quits, uh, you know, the rest of the world is still going to be on the hook to rebuild Ukraine. So, you know, knowing that Joe Biden is going to try and get as much money for that disaster that's going on over there than he already has it, it looks like at some point the american taxpayers are going to be on the hook for at least half a trillion dollars or more when it comes to ukraine alone um how is house republicans looking to uh you know separate those two things and then make sure that at some point during this session of congress we could do something other than what's going on right now which is a lot of you know illegal migrants getting processed at the u.s southern border well first of all i do not believe that we should uh, align border security with 105 billion dollars in supplemental funding that goes uh, largely to Ukraine and Taiwan. I don't I just I think that's 
wrongheaded and there's no there's no way to pay for it. They're just going to add that to our national debt. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, and in order to get the, the administration to actually do something on our own border, we're going to have to say no to certain certain spending levels and amounts and programs and whatnot. So I've actually I'm introducing today a bill that will actually shut down spending on about 15 to 20 percent of the, the national federal spending until the border is secure. Nice. And 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 that I've got some co-sponsors already. I'm trying to get more of the speakers. I will say this, Speaker Johnson is very interested in that and has actually touted that to various groups around the conference. See, because you have people that say, I'm afraid to shut, we, you know, we don't want to do a government shutdown, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? Um, you, you don't ever shut down uh, mandatory spending, which is Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and in my bill, you, you continue veterans benefits, uh, armed forces, CBP, ICE, TSA, and and the FAA, and to the extent you have air traffic controllers. Everything else, though, you know, like you're not going to build the, the FBI's new new uh, Taj Mahal uh, headquarters. You're not going to do these Green New Deal subsidies that will equal $2.5 trillion over a matter of a few years. Right. You basically shut down all of that until you get the border secure. Uh, and so, so that's where the leverage is. The leverage is not with a supplemental for Ukraine. Now, with you, as far as Ukraine goes, um, this administration and a lot of neocons in Congress want to keep funding Ukraine, to quote Lindsey Graham, as much as it takes, as long as it takes, uh, close quote. They don't realize that the kleptocracy that we felt the Ukraine was before Russia uh, provoked this war, um, it still goes on there. Um, you have, we've, there's, there's lots of money that's gone missing. We don't even know how much money is unaccounted for. Yep. There's material that's gone, gone missing and, and there's no exit ramp. There's no mission statements, no objective. Uh, they started off saying, well, we just have to, you know, defend Ukraine. And then it was regime change in Russia. They want Putin out. They have no idea what their real goal is. And so uh, the position for many of us is we're not going to fund Ukraine. We're just not going to give them any more money. We don't have any money to give. It isn't, it isn't even, we're not going to give them our money since all these supplementals are unfunded. They means to go right to the national debt. That means they, I'm not going to lay that on my children and grandchildren either. No, it's the truth. You know, hopefully over at the World Economic Forum, he's uh, going through the Rolodex and figuring out which other people he could start getting some of those funds for to uh, keep that war rolling. Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on, pretty important in the news cycle today, we saw a pretty historic win yesterday in Iowa for Donald Trump in the caucus over there. Uh, largest margin of victory. You know, a lot of the people in the mainstream media were, first of all, saying Donald Trump couldn't win. Second of all, saying it was going to be a close race. And then by the time people were getting ready to caucus last night, they were saying if he doesn't win by like Assad, Hussein or Kim Jong-un <laughs> margins, then it's not really a victory for Donald Trump. However, he did defy all of the expectations. Is making a pit stop as we speak in New York before he heads up to New Hampshire, which obviously the primary is now in just 10 short days there. I know you've been a staunch supporter of Donald Trump and, and a huge advocate for his, his last term in office, what potentially could be happening uh, next year with Agenda 47 when he gets back. But can you just give a little commentary on how you've seen the president run his race so far? Well, I mean, here's a guy that is, is 
got a lot to tout and brag about, whether it's the border security, whether it was the economy when he was there, whether it was world peace and, and stability because of, of his policies. So there's a lot to talk about for, for President Trump. But the, he's also done this. Think about this. He has done this while the left has strategically brought lawsuits and criminal prosecutions against him for bogus stuff um, nonstop. And he's had to deal with that nonstop while he's been campaigning. And he's, I think he's right. He doesn't need to debate these people. Um, first of all, when he speaks, he, he I mean, I, I happen to like uh, Ron DeSantis. Uh, he's a good guy. But he's not. It's not his time, I don't believe. And but it is Donald Trump's time. And Donald Trump's going to do great. He's going to do great in New Hampshire. He's going to do great in South Carolina. I think that's when you'll see everybody else finally fold uh, after South Carolina. And then he's going to be have a clear field uh, to go out and really rally this country to a uh, 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 a victory. So if, if there's a if there's a fair election at all, I think Donald Trump wins the presidency. Oh, I mean, just when you look at like some of the top couple issues, it's uh, border security or no security, world peace or world war, and then, uh, you know, the best economy in the history of our country, or obviously what everybody's paying every time they go to the grocery store and the gas pump. I think it's a pretty clear choice, especially for uh, everybody out here in America First. Congressman, as always, great sitting down with you today. We're going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today. We know there's so many updates that you put out and, and, and some of your editorials that our listenership always love reading, but if anybody wants to check you out on social media, where can they find you? You can find me at, at RepAndyBiggsAZ. Um, you can go to bigs.house.gov. I'm going to be releasing a, a short uh, video today uh, about uh, the border situation. It's just a 30-second one, but it's it's interesting, I think, and I think a lot of people are going to want to see it. No, we'll be looking forward to sharing that as well. This guy's representing Arizona 5, but fighting for all of America first out there up on Capitol Hill. Congressman Andy Biggs, thanks for joining us today. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks. You guys, too. Thanks. CNN projects that Donald Trump will win the Iowa caucuses. CNN can make this projection based on his overwhelming lead in our entrance poll of Iowa caucus goers and some initial votes that are coming in. The former president pulling off a huge early victory in his bid to return to the White House. Trump easily defeating his top opponents, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, who are now in a high stakes fight for second place. Let's go to Aaron Burnett at the panel. Aaron, uh, not a surprise, but still, this is the earliest I can remember ever calling such a thing. And that was, again, as we're jumping back into the news portion of the podcast here, CNN, who called Donald Trump's historic win in the Iowa caucus yesterday first in about seven minutes after it started. So interesting to see the way the news kind of unfolded. We're going to be taking a look, after we heard from the candidates in our first news segment, into some of the reactions from the press following the historic Trump victory. That was fake news Jake Tapper. He did a little bit of crying later on. You're never going to believe this one, Noah. A lot of the, I guess we'll air quote and call them press, outside of conservative ink, declared Donald Trump's win because of white people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> one of your favorite male commentators well you could say white people from the other side of the aisle randy maddow Ugh. of msnbc not even not even not even like an honorable mention in favorites she had a little bit of a meltdown after donald trump was declared the victor in the iowa caucus last night referring to him as a fascist let's hear it from that and i don't mean to be again too dark as you said on this but it is not 
if we are worried about the rise of authoritarianism in this country, we are worried about potential God. rise of fascism in this country. If we're worried about <laughs> our democracy falling to an authoritarian and potentially fascist form of government. The leader who is trying to do that is part of that equation. Mm -hmm. But people wanting that Correct. is a yeah. much mm -hmm. bigger part mm -hmm. of that That's equation. Right. And the American electorate is made up of two major parties. One of those parties has been flirting with extremism on the ultra-right for a very long time. They've brought them in in a way that they haven't been central to Republican electoral politics ever before. And I know because I've been studying this. Ah. But once you have radicalized one major party so that those are the preferences of the people who adhere to your party, the leader is interchangeable. And yes, Trumpism is sometimes what we call it. Mm -hmm. MAGA movement is probably a better way to do it. But there is an authoritarian mm -hmm. movement inside yes. Republican politics that isn't being bamboozled by Trump. Mm -hmm. They are pushing Trump That's to yeah. get more and more right. extreme because the more extreme things he says, the more they, the like more they adhere and to him. That, yeah. and, and that is coming from a very large proportion of the American right that adheres to the Republican Party. And that's why this is a Republican Party problem more than it is the problem mm -hmm. of one man and his leader. Doesn't we, that and tie together? Can... Noah, how do you feel about that? Uh, gross. Man. Because I've been studying it. The coping and seething. Yes. For the once a week they roll her out now on MSNBC. It's just, I miss her sometimes. I miss her bros. <laughs> you know, looking inside some of these numbers, the Des Moines Registry, which is the gold standard of predicting the Iowa caucus, had Donald Trump capped at a little over 48% going into the event and his over 50% win margin even defied those odds. So there was a lot of eyebrows being raised last night throughout the mainstream press and outside of the conservative media. You know, there was also a lot of people who are seeing the writings on the wall. You had people on the DeSantis team, all the grifters like Dave Rubin and, and going around and just being like, the conservative party is fucking dead. You had people like Clay and Buck kind of crawling back to MAGA. We're not going to let him back. Even Tommy Lauren that complete moron who they bring on as a legal expert. She should be doing makeup reviews on YouTube. They had her on Fox News last night, and she was a huge champion of Donald Trump's win in the Iowa caucus. It's like, lady, you were stumping for Ron DeSantis for like the last six months. Get the fuck out of here. I hope some people with more skin invested in this than me, social media-wise, have been keeping receipts on all these people because we sure have. And we're going to remind everybody just how bad their takes were since... November 2022, when apparently Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis were in single digits of each other in the polls. Because for the amount of people that are going to be crawling back over the course of the next six weeks, just want to warn everybody, the faster you let them in and forget about what they've done, the faster they get to continue to influence you. And when they talk, they're going to be talking about how Donald Trump's not the answer in between the numbers. So you got to take a uh, strong, hard look at that. And use a little bit of discernment when you're finding out where you're getting your information from. That's why we're glad you're joining us here on the show today. Illinois' governor, my boss, looks like a body double for Kingpin from the Spider-Man comics. Ooh. <laughs> J.V. Pritzker, he's been doing a little bit of the news lately. Looks like he's getting ready to potentially get involved in Joe Biden's campaign. I saw him on CBS's news coverage of the Iowa caucus last night talking about the event. Let's hear it. 
Remember, this entire race has been about this Republican primary for the last, well, year, really. So all the press has gone to them and not so much about the head to head between whichever Republican actually is going to win and Joe Biden. So I think the electorate really hasn't seen the two visions mm -hmm. side by side or the two candidates side by side, which I think will change the race entirely. A big Trump victory tonight, which it appears he's going to achieve means what for the general election? That he's gonna be the nominee? Are you basically assuming after tonight he's gonna to be the nominee? Well, certainly if he had not won big tonight, <laughs> uh, things would be up in the air more than they seem to be. Who knows though, you know, New Hampshire is very different than Iowa. Mm -hmm. Uh, South Carolina with Nikki Haley and uh, the probably the former president going head to head uh, against one another. And, and, you know, we'll see what happens in those races. Uh, but certainly, you know, Donald Trump winning tonight means that he is likely to be mm -hmm. the Republican nominee. But we'll have to see. And I do think that once we're able to focus on whoever the Republican nominee will be, this is, again, going to be an entirely different race. And, and people will see that Joe Biden is the one standing up for working families. Oof. Yikes. Way to end it with the worst take of them all. We're going to talk about Joe Biden's schedule in just a second. You know what else is interesting to hear, Noah? The mainstream press knows and understands just how strong Donald Trump is at this point. And what they're not saying is, reflecting back on past Iowa caucus results where the winner necessarily doesn't always happen to be the nominee for the party. Actually, in a lot of cases, you have someone winning the Iowa caucus who just went out and did the work and not being the nominee when it comes time to get into the general election season. You know, Ted Cruz beat Donald Trump in the Iowa caucus back in 2015, even though Donald Trump would go on to win the state twice in the general election cycle. And it's it's been the case for a lot of those candidates moving forward. When they say that Donald Trump won the Iowa caucus and by the margins he did and that he's probably going to be the nominee following that, they understand how big and strong his campaign is right now and that outside of something godly unforeseen happening, he is going to be the Republican nominee there. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, whatever platform it's on, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, make sure you're following and having the Steak for Breakfast podcast download to your electronic device. Hit the follow button, hit the plus sign, whatever it is. It's going to ask you, do you want to download these episodes? You say yes. Helps out massaging the algorithms, brings us up in the podcast suggestions for your favorite political podcast, and helps us out in the Apple Top 100, which we continue to climb on a weekly basis. In addition, we have social media. Check us out on Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Follow the accounts after you find us. We're going to be sitting down with former congresswoman and current candidate running for a U.S. House seat in Texas 34, Mayor Flores, for the first time in just a bit. Well, we're going to jump back into this. I did see Michael Steele, who's a former high-ranking advisor to Barack Obama, was part of the MSNBC roundtable last night. That's weird, huh? Weird coincidence. What a star-studded guest. They had him. They had Joy Reid, who was apparently wearing like a Donald Trump wig. It wasn't. It was her new weave, but it looked just like Donald Trump's hair, so a lot of people were making fun of that on social media. <laughs> nice. Randy Maddow, who we all already heard from as well. But now, you know... The Democrats' plan to sabotage Donald Trump's race has been solely focused on New Hampshire. He teased as much. Let's check it out. Yeah, uh, among the rank and file of the party is, okay, everybody needs to get on board behind Trump. 
Vivek come out. He gets out. He endorses Trump. Bergam endorses Trump. Bergam, he's he's really having a moment. He's having a moment. Year. You have you have these, but you have others inside the party itself, uh, officials inside the party, making that move towards Trump. Mm-hmm. So it's going to put a lot of pressure on New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. New Hampshire has always been in certainly in Republican. Uh, primary circles, that outlier state, because Democrats and independents get to play mm-hmm. and have a say in who the nominee is. In any other election cycle, you heard that, that's right, good for a mm-hmm. John McCain. Mm-hmm. That's good for, mm-hmm. you know, a George Bush. In this election cycle, it doesn't play the same mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. If you're not on board going into New Hampshire, you're not going to be the person that's going to pull that party away from Trump mm-hmm. onto you when Stop you get to South that. Carolina, oh. your home state, and elsewhere. So it creates, a, I think, a, an interesting pressure point for Nikki in how she plays to that Democrat independent base that she's going to need to push her numbers up to t- overtake Trump. And at the same time, not lose that Trump, that Trump base. Yeah, I mean, New Hampshire is such a different electorate than Iowa and different from a lot of the other states. We also saw Nikki Haley speak. Um, we, it gave us a little bit of a sense of how she's going to maybe play the next couple of days. What did you make of her remarks? I think she's, she wants to fight. She made a compelling case, uh, at least to New Hampshire voters, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and laid it on argument against Trump. Uh, both on sort of character grounds, but electability grounds. Uh, you know, kind of couched it as going after both Trump and Biden, but making that generational case. And so I think that's the question. Listen, if, if she can't win New Hampshire, what, next Tuesday's January 23rd, the Republican primary's over. That's the only thing that they said throughout the course of that speaking piece that I thought was accurate. If Nikki Haley can't win New Hampshire, it's over. However, Noah, We've been doing this for a couple years now. Have you ever heard anyone speak so highly of a Republican candidate as you heard them kind of gloss over Nikki Haley there for over two minutes? Yeah, no. What they are hoping for is record turnout from Dems and Independents and those wings of the Republican Party who more align up with Chris Sununu and never Trumper, who's done nothing to help out Donald Trump or this ticket head towards a potential nomination. He was a big backer of Ron DeSantis before he realized that Ron DeSantis sucked, jumped over to Nikki Haley, and then Ron DeSantis, albeit within the margin of error, winds up beating Nikki Haley by a little over a percentage point in the Iowa caucus, and now they're heading over to New Hampshire. But that's been the big play, and we've warned you guys about it. If Donald Trump winds up winning by 7 8 10%, 11%, they are going to hype up Nikki Haley for so many weeks after that heading into South Carolina. They're going to make it seem, again, much like the fake primary, which lives in the multiverse of the Republican Party, has been for the last year, make it seem like there's a real primary here. They'll even hang on as much as they can if Nikki Haley loses in New Hampshire. I'm telling you guys that right now. Matt Gates, who was freezing his ass off a week <laughs> up in Iowa, helping out President Trump, caught up with reporters following the big win there yesterday. And, you know, I, I want to reference a uh, an NBC article that came out. And this was regarding, it's, it's actually kind of silly, fears grow that Trump will use the military in dictatorial ways if he returns to the White House. Among those being mentioned for Trump's defense secretary or Christopher Miller, who served temporarily during his administration 
Mike Flynn and Mike Pompeo, I could tell you right now that outside of Miller, the other two people are not even being considered. But, you know, this was an article that came out ahead of the Iowa caucus, and, and just reading a few parts from it right now, and this is, again, from NBC.com. Now bracing for Trump's potential return, a loose-knit network of public interest groups and lawmakers are quietly devising a plan to try and foil efforts to expand presidential power, which could include pressuring the military to cater to his political needs. This goes back over to the presidential immunity case that has been going on right now, where even though the lawyer said this was the most retarded narrative that they had ever heard in all their years of practicing law, the judge would not stop asking, well, what if Donald Trump ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate his political opponents? To which Donald Trump's lawyer said, well, I'm, I'm sure he would probably be impeached, and then obviously for a crime of that magnitude, put in jail. And the judge is like, so you're saying he could do it? Sure, I'm any, any president could probably do that, but they wouldn't get very far afterwards because of the whole impeachment and jail process that follows it. But you're not saying it's outside the realms of possibility that he could order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate his political opponents. Well, yes, we've all seen Reacher and Tom Clancy, but I don't think that Donald Trump's going to be ordering SEAL Team 6 to assassinate his political opponents. But you're, but you're saying that he could. And it's just like this was the back and forth that now has been spun into editorials which are trying to, again, disenfranchise the brand and the campaign of Donald Trump. I really don't think that Donald Trump is looking to assassinate any of his political opponents. Hopefully, by using the corrected version of the law, outside of what we have at the DOJ and places like the FBI right now, Donald Trump will investigate, and if crimes occurred, prosecute his political opponents for what they've done to him for the last eight years. But I think outside of that, I think Donald Trump's looking to get as much of Agenda 47 passed as possible and kind of just move it along and get this country going back on the right track. Let's check in with the Florida congressman, as I already mentioned, who was out on the road stumping for President Trump following the Iowa caucus victory results. This is the Republican Party coalescing around Donald Trump as our presumptive nominee. I mean, you've got Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley stumbling out of here what, having spent tens of millions of dollars per delegate, uh, that's not really a sustainable path to the nomination. We have the durable campaign, and it's time to work together to take on the Democrats, to go battle in the swing states. We don't need tens of millions of dollars spent uh, to continue this contest that Donald Trump has clearly won. Is there still a race? No, this is over. This, look at how much money Haley and DeSantis spent here, and they couldn't put together a durable coalition of any size or kind. Last I mean, Ron DeSantis essentially moved here and is not, might not make one out of every four voters. It turned out he wouldn't as well. No, did it surprise you that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis did as bad as they did? Or, or do you think that even though Donald Trump campaigned less, spent a billion times less money, but actually had the message that resonates to the voters... Not just, uh, I'm an alternative to Donald Trump. I can last for two terms. I'll actually do what he didn't get done, which we all know that's completely false. They, they stumped on points like the border wall and, and, and border security and the economy that were actually true numbers that they kind of tried to mislead people to thinking were false. Or, or do you think that, you know, we're in the midst of the Trump era right now and it doesn't matter who we throw at the 45th president, he's going to be the 47th no matter what. I mean, I was actually pleasantly surprised at how well he did by the how how poorly the other people did that was just like a 
cherry on top for so, me. So even exceeded your expectations. You thought he was going to have a big victory in Iowa, but when you saw him over 50%, breaking all the historical margins, even beating the projected Des Moines Register, that, that this was uh, you know Donald Trump's race to lose from the beginning and he ran it well? No, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think so as well. You know, and, and it wasn't even Donald Trump was heading out of the event yesterday and getting ready to return to his motorcade where he would go to the airport and travel to New York, where he was in court this morning before heading over to New Hampshire later today. Before he was asked about what's going on in New Hampshire and the potential of what's going on with Nikki Haley regarding Democrat voters and, and the independents who are the establishment is trying to set up to help him have a hard time there. You know, for all of the short talking points he's given over the course of the last week or so regarding it, now that the race was over, it was time to kind of focus his sights in on bird brain. And he actually stopped when he heard the question and gave the media a pretty long answer. Let's hear it. We added a couple more events in New Hampshire next week. Was that a response to Nikki Haley's rise in the polls there? Who's rising the polls? Nikki Haley's. Uh, she hasn't risen to me. <laughs> See, this is a typical CNN question. They had it the other day where Nikki went up a little bit beyond. She she went up two, and she was at 11, but she beat the Sanctus. I was at 69, and I went up seven. And they said, Haley surges. She was at 11, but she beats it. So the headline was Haley surges, because that's why it's fake news, CNN. That's why nobody watches it. No, not for any reason. I just I have time here. I like the people here. They're great people. We love you. you We we do want to send a signal to November. And it's really November. We're not even talking about anything else. We're not not worried about New Hampshire. Uh, In South Carolina, we're beating Nikki by 40 or 50 points. And then she was governor there, so explain that one. Plus, we have almost every major government official in South Carolina is endorsing us. Yeah. I mean, it's been amazing. And in Nevada, which... You're forgetting about, but Nevada is actually third. It comes before South Carolina, and in Nevada we're at like ninety percent or something. And that would kind of be it there, you know. And he makes a lot of good points. He's not worried about New Hampshire. They're forecasted to win there. He should win there. They've put in the time and money. People like Bruce Brenton and Caroline Levitt have laid the groundwork to have amazing results in 10 days. Then you move on to the Nevada primary where, again, Nikki Haley's not on the ballot. Donald Trump is looking to be anywhere from 75 to 90% ahead in the polls. And then down to South Carolina. I just want to remind everybody, last year, shortly after Donald Trump started campaigning hard, he had that event in that small town in South Carolina where I believe the population was less than 4,000 and almost 80,000 people showed up in triple digit heat to hear him talk for two hours. That's hot as fuck. Just remember, and, and remember this, Nikki Haley hasn't been an elected official in almost a decade. And again, she served in the Trump administration, said she had a great time, said she had all of the respect and admiration for Donald Trump that she did in the world and said that she would never run against him. And here she is mm. where they're going to pull out all the stops in New Hampshire once that roadblock is broken through, it's pedal to the floor and it's big win after big win heading into Super Tuesday where he will get enough delegates to become the Republican nominee. Guys, we're getting ready to jump in with Myra Flores for the first time right now. But before we do that, 
Let's check in with one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Battleborn Coffee Roasters. They're law enforcement, family-owned, and they produce some of the best available specialty-grade coffee. That means all those beans have gone through an extensive process to remove all defects. Battleborn researches all their sources, farms, and milling stations to make sure you're not getting any pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Sit back and have a cup of their Borderline Mexico Chiapas blend while you're out sitting on an X or sitting in the office. High-quality coffee from high-quality people. Use promo code STEAK for 20% off your first order. Make sure you go check them out at battleborn.com. Coffee. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. She's the former congresswoman looking to retake Texas 34 in the upcoming 2024 elections, and we're sitting down for the first time with Myra Flores. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, we missed you during the 2022 midterm election cycle. We are glad to be catching up with you now. It seems like we are, after the results of the Iowa caucus yesterday, full on into this primary season. Wow. We want to get a little bit of commentary as we've talked about it throughout the show today, how you saw the results of the Iowa caucus come out, and then we'll jump right into your campaign. Well, honestly, I'm very uh, excited for President Trump. I mean, what an amazing win, 98 counties out of 99. That was a dominating night and a victory night for him, and I believe that it's time for the Republican Party, Republican voters to unite. Um, with him. And it's important that they also unite with all the uh, Republican candidates. This is the most important election of our lifetime. It's important that we put our differences aside. I believe that the love that we have for this country, for God, for our families, it's worth us coming together. You know, and exceeding the expectations like Donald Trump did last night, we know you were a strong supporter of him throughout the course of yeah. the uh, the midterm cycle. You do a lot of uh, advocating for America First candidates, not just in the state of Texas, but you were traveling all over the country. And, and then the work you did up on Capitol Hill to support, you know, things that, that we're fighting for that are adjacent to what he's looking to do in Agenda 47. What, what does it say to the race he's run so far? You know, everybody's thrown just about everything in the kitchen sink, Adam, whether you're talking about the lawfare, the civil cases, the special counsels, in addition to the way, I mean, some of the mainstream media outlets cut from his victory speech last night, and then they showed the second and third place candidates speech in their entirety and start talking about how great Nikki Haley's going to do in places like New Hampshire. But, you know, when you look at how Donald Trump has, has re-hit this campaign trail, it looks like that he's re-harnessed a little bit of that 2015 magic and might appear even stronger than ever before. I think he's stronger than ever before. Uh, he's, uh, you know, learned a lot. We've all learned a lot and we grow from all this. And I think he's also uh, grown and he's also learned from everything that he's gone through. And I'm very proud of him and, and his team. And I'm excited. I'm really excited for what's to come. I really do believe that the best is yet to come. And all this is just a, a distraction. They don't want us to focus on the border situation, the economy. The Democrats want us to focus on all the lies they want us to focus on social issues, but not on the things that are actually affecting everyday Americans like the economy. So I choose to not allow that to distract me. And I'm going to focus on the issues that affect the people here in South Texas, the things that actually not just affect South Texas, but are affecting the entire country. Now, I, w- I do want to segue a little bit and, t- and talk about your race and, and you getting back into this uh, Texas 34 uh, equation here because here's the thing you are the first mexican-born congresswoman ever up on capitol hill that was a big deal based off of the fact that you ran and campaigned on america first platform that really is starting to resonate with with a lot more people in this country than it originally (laughs) did the first time it was rolled out now you're looking to get back into this race right now a lot of things have changed since you've been up on capitol hill we've had 
three congressmen already on the show today who are still talking about things like the budget, border security, and funding forever wars. I know a lot of the constituents in your district, including the economy, probably are worried about all those issues too. So as you're out there and, and talking with them and, and getting ready to get this thing ramped up and, and, and hoping for a huge uh, election victory in 2024, what can you tell us about what it's like on the ground in Texas 34? And, and what are some of the biggest concerns that you're seeing having already been up on Capitol Hill that you want to help fix in the next session of Congress? Everyone that I talk to, it's about the economy. Everybody's struggling to pay their rent, their mortgage, their car payment, their credit card debt. They are constantly having to use their credit cards because they don't have any money, but then they can't keep up with the payments because the interest rates are so high. The struggle is real, not just for Texas 34, for the entire country. The majority of Americans right now are a paycheck away from becoming homeless. And that is the reality. And they're seeing that. In Washington, they're spending their money, they're sending it to Ukraine, they're sending it abroad, but they're not investing it here in the United States. And at the end of the day, it's our money. Without our money, the government is nothing. We are the backbone of this country, and the people in Washington are forgetting who they work for. We want to start seeing bacon come back to to our districts. We want more money in our pockets. We want to keep more of our money. And I believe Americans should have more control of their money because they will make the best decisions of how to spend their money. Because clearly, our government is not making the right decisions on how to spend the hard-working American people in this country. And that is the top issue that I hear in Texas 34. Of course, the border situation is an, is a sec, is the second top issue that I hear a lot here in Texas 34 because we're right here. I'm a Border Patrol wife. My husband has been a Border Patrol agent for many years, but it's not just me. Our Border Patrol agents are familia. They are part of who we are it they are neighbors and the constant attacks against our border patrol agents are honestly a disrespect to us because our border patrol agents are only doing the best that they can correct they don't have the resources the funds they don't have the manpower to be able to withstand all this and by the way we don't need more money to process more people <laughs> you know, they're constantly talking in in Washington and Congress to send more funding for border security. I'm all for more funding if it's going to be for technology to hire more agents to invest in a border wall, but not to process more people. We need policy change. If we are only sending money to secure the border, that's not going to solve the problem. We need to put back in place the policies that were working under President Trump that the Biden administration went away with. And that's what's causing people to come here to the United States illegally, because 85% of them are actually being released. Right. If you are in Venezuela, in Latin America, and you hear that if you come to the United States illegally, you have an 85% chance that you will be released. That will encourage you to come. I don't blame these people. I blame their government. I blame our government for encouraging them to come here, knowing how dangerous this journey is, knowing that the Mexican cartel is making over $10 billion a year. Now they're in full control of the southern border. They're raping, abusing women and children. No exceptions. These people are monsters. They're terrorists. They have the people of Mexico terrorized. They have everyone terrorized, and they should be labeled as such. 
terrorists because that's exactly what they are. And they're in full control of the southern border. And yet the Biden administration continues to put in place policies that encourage illegal immigration. And then they come here and these people were promised you know, all these things by American organizations, by the way. There's American organizations in Latin America, in Mexico, in Tapachula, you know, and these so-called migrant leaders telling them all these things that they're going to be able to obtain here in the United States. And a lot of them don't understand that here in this country, you can accomplish the American dream, but you have to work hard, very, very hard, and you have to do it the right way. I immigrated to this country. Of course, I want more little girls like Maida Flores to be able to come here to the United States and accomplish the American dream just like myself. But legally, not only does border security keep the American people safe, it keeps little girls, it keeps women, it keeps migrants safe as well. No one talks about the thousands of lives that have been lost trying to cross into the United States illegally. No. And I blame this administration. And that's that's the there there, you know, the, the thousands of people who have been lost inside of the numbers and the bickering that's going up on Capitol Hill. Myra, as a former congresswoman, when you see the Republicans, they had a little bit of a larger majority now, but it, it's down to a super slim one after the motion to vacate Speaker McCarthy. You see them struggling to hold Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas to account on border security. It would seem like something that's a slam dunk. The American people see it. They know that it's contributing to all the bad stuff that's going on with our economy. They know it's erasing the sovereignty on the U.S. Southern border and our national identity and they just can't seem to get out of their way it's like having the power of the purse is one thing but being able to stand up and outside of the uniparty narrative i think is another one that we're really missing the there there on that and we're hoping that you know people like you are going to be able to get back up on capitol hill and and contribute to fixing next year absolutely it's simple no security no border security no funding that's it. We cannot continue negotiating and coming to the middle. This is very serious. We've already had over 10 million people cross illegally into this country. This administration has already lost over 100,000 children that we don't know where they're at, that are more likely being trafficked. The United States is the number one in child trafficking and child pornography. That is a, that is a fact. It's a hard reality that we need to also put in place legislation that put these monsters in prison for the rest of their life. I don't care, you know, what the status of these children are, but we are obligated to protect these children. The moment we release them, we shouldn't be releasing these children. We should be keeping these children in our custody and be 100% that they are going to families, send them back to their families. But we shouldn't be releasing them with these so-called sponsors and those claiming they're the uncle, the aunt. No, we need to be 100% that they're actually related to the child. We should not be negotiating this anymore. No voter security, no funding. We are over $34 trillion in debt. That's not the country that we inherited. Our children don't deserve that. Again, this is the greatest country in the world, but we also need to put in work for this country to continue being the greatest country in the world. And we have to fix a lot of the things that are wrong. For example, I just mentioned child trafficking is a problem that we have in this country and that I don't see no legislation being put in place. This is something that both Republicans and Democrats should be working together. Why are Democrats not wanting to work on this issue? 
Why do they not want to put child traffickers in prison for the rest of their life? I believe in second chances, but these monsters do not do not deserve a second chance. Anyone who abuses, who traffics a child should never see the sun again. We if can. it would be up to me, I would give them the death penalty. These people do not deserve to be alive, but put them in. I'm, I'm, I'm happy if we could just put them in prison for the rest of their life for what they've done to these children and what they continue to do. And not just children that are being crossed. By the way, uh, children here in this country go missing. No one talks about the over 400,000 children that go missing in this country as well Correct. and are never found. So it's not just children crossing into this country. It's also our children here in the United States. It's a huge problem Then no one really wants to talk about. They're afraid to talk about it. You know, it's controversial. What's controversial about it? You know, if you're a mom, if you're a parent, what would happen if your child would go missing? What would you do? You know, and I just want parents to start putting themselves in the shoes of these parents of these parents that their children have gone missing. I want parents to start putting themselves in the shoes of the parents that have lost a child over fentanyl poisoning. Then now is the leading cause. Our border patrol agents are so focused in processing women and children that cannot stop the drugs coming in into this country. And we're not the exception. We think that will never happen to my child. That will never come into my neighborhood. It's everywhere. And many times, these people don't even know they're taking fentanyl. No, that's the it's truth. It's a poison. It is, and and when you talk about the the elaborate networks that are set up across the country, both in in the drug trade and then with the human trafficking, it's like you know, just like you alluded to, no, it can never happen to me until you go to the grocery store, you go to the mall, or or you're just out in public. You turn around for one second, and next thing you know, your kid is gone. Or or if, when you have older kids, teenagers, they go to a party, and there's pressure to maybe drink or try marijuana. They take one sip, they take one puff, and next thing you know. They're overdosing on fentanyl. The, the, the way that, you know, the system has been allowed to be broken so bad that it, it, there's no one who's safe from its effects anymore. It could be a, absolutely the, the touch of a door handle. It could be, you know, something at school. It could be just hanging out with your friends or it could be turning around too long to check on the fruit at the grocery store and then never seeing your kid again. It's really good that you're out there advocating for these policies. It looks like you're getting ready to have a strong campaign. Myra, we're going to be live linking your career campaign Thank website you. in the show description today. We'd love to have you back at some time, either before the primary or in the general election cycle. But for anyone that wants to follow you on social media and contribute to your campaign, where can they find you? I'm at Mayra Flores on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram. I'm also on TikTok as well. And I also have my website, uh, com, And I humbly ask for your full support. If you live in Texas 34, early voting starts next month on February the 20th and election day is on March 5th. Um, if you don't live in my district, I encourage you to also go out and vote and support your Republican uh, candidate. Uh, remember to ask for a Republican uh, ballot and you can also support us by donating, making calls. So just reach to our campaign. There's many ways that you can uh, support the work that we're doing here in Texas 34 because it's not just about this area. Honestly, the work that we're doing will impact the entire state, the entire country. And that's why they call this a bellwether seat. This is one of the most important mm -hmm. ones in the nation right now. This is the former congresswoman who's looking to take it back up to Capitol Thank Hill you. and make that seat great again. Myra Flores, thanks for joining us on the show today. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you. Happy New Year's.